KPCALP, Petaluma, California. Thank you for listening to KPCA, Petaluma's Free Range Radio. KPCA is a community radio station that highlights the creativity of individuals. Let your voice be heard and become a programmer. If you have something to say and want to get involved, visit us at kpca.fm or call 707-773-3190. Guess what I'm tired of? A year of canceling, rescheduling, and having to say no? Exactly. I'm ready to say yes to being together again. I'm ready to say yes to date night with my partner. Yes to barbecues with our family and friends. So, does that mean you'll get the vaccine when you're eligible? Yes, I will. And I hope you do too. So we can go to concerts like that one that was canceled last year. I can't wait till we can cheer on our favorite team in the bleachers and hug and smile without masks. Say yes to the vaccine for yourself, for your family and friends, for your neighbors and co-workers. The vaccine is safe. In fact, tens of thousands of people participate in the well-controlled clinical trials. The vaccine is trusted and overwhelming Share of doctors have opted for the shots, and it's free to everyone. To get the facts you're looking for, including who's eligible and where you can get your vaccine, go to socoemergency.org. Say yes to the vaccine when it's your turn, so we can all say yes to being together again. Top and it's nice and warm out, and the wind has stopped. <laughs> oh my god, we went from winter the last three days. I know. I've been right into summer again. I know, but that wind, I, you know, oh, I can deal with the cold, but the wind, I was tired of. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the wind and it's blowing so much pollen around that my eyes, I feel like I want to rip them right out of my head. They are a little bit red, I can see. Oh, it's oh, horrible. Well, I'm sorry about that. Terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, it's been a busy week. It's a lot of stuff going on in Pennsylvania, and of course, you know, what's going on with the Supreme Court is uh, horrifying for the medical field and and women. And uh, Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just going to trickle down, so we've got a lot to go. But I do want to just say one thing, and I'm just so proud. My granddaughter is in the state that, that she goes to Davis High, so they live in Davis, and it's the state championship for swimming and Davis High is doing really well and so I'll be going down to Clovis tomorrow to watch the finals so it's pretty exciting when you know somebody who's in the finals yeah 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 Yeah. so she's 18 and leaving for UCSD in August with a full ride scholarship for swimming and she wants to become an astrophysicist so it's pretty exciting very proud of my granddaughters and grandsons. So um, I went to a water forum last night, Cindy, and it was really interesting. A, a what? A water forum. Oh, on was, water uh, use. Yeah, yes. and it was for the rural residents, you know, because, uh, which I didn't realize we have the different basins in the county, but it's only the basin on the west side of Petaluma, which is called the Petaluma Basin, 
And there were a lot of um, rural farming community members there, a lot of them I knew. And they're really um, very concerned about the rate increases that the, is being proposed. Some of, the, some of those um, landowners will have up to like $12,000 a year added on to their tax base. Yeah. And so um, I went, and I was really glad that I went. And what I was, what I was most disappointed one was our supervisor kept attacking the city of Petaluma. When at a time like this, this is when you need to join together as a group to really solve um, the problem instead of just attacking. And so I, I'm, I don't expect the attacking to stop, but I hope he heard me loud and clear because I know the resident or the um, people in the room did hear that. That's and interesting that he would continue to attack city officials and um, the, same the city itself yeah. after that candidate forum on Monday night. Right. And, you know, interesting enough, in today's Artist Courier, the in, uh, endorsement, they did a non-endorsement. But what's interesting is um, Tyler Silby um, uh, resigned, as did Emily. Um, Tyler Silby, the editor of uh, the Argus Courier, and Emily, Emily, sure. who is the publisher. Correct? That's right. They both resigned. And I'm not sure if it had anything to do with the endorsement. Um, is this the real endorsement, or was the endorsement really for Blake Cooper? And it seems like something happened, and the Sonoma Media stepped in and may have made some changes. And I, I have um, um, text, or I'd like to have a conversation with Darius Anderson. Maybe he'll come yeah. on our show someday. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. So with that, well, today um, there's a, an action going on at Petaluma Valley Hospital today. Uh, if you haven't driven past the hospital yet, um, there is a informational picket going on there, and that is on behalf of the. Oh, you can. I can hear the honking horns. <laughs> yes, we we have them on the line. So uh, who we have on the line is. Jim Gorlick, who is a registered nurse and president of the Petaluma Staff Nurse Partnership. And we also have Jackie Bedell, who is a registered nurse and vice president of the Petaluma Staff Nurse Partnership. Are you are you there? Are you both there? Yeah, we're here. We're here. <laughs> oh, I love the horn honking. Yay, support for our nurses. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Uh, just to, for our listeners, uh, let's go back a little bit. Um, a little over a year ago, uh, Petaluma Valley Hospital was uh, acquired by NorCal Health Connect, which is a secular affiliate of Providence St. Joseph Health. And uh, at the time of the acquisition, the I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jim or uh, Jackie, didn't uh, at the time of the acquisition you still had negotiations going on for your uh, contract? Yeah, we, we uh, settled the contract about three or four months into um, the period right after the hospital was, was bought by Right, Providence. right. And, and there were a number of issues uh, on, still on the table, uh, which we've discussed in a, in a previous program. And um, uh, according to my list, uh, we, we had concerns about uh, retiree health, uh, the paid time off and loss of shifts, um, canceling of shifts, uh, uh, that there was no verifiable uh, or accurate acuity system, and also concerns about COVID. Is that um, 
Is that still issues that you are dealing with? Um, well, you know, we're, we're out here today. I mean, we're, we're out here for multiple reasons. One, we're celebrating a year of having had our contract. Mm-hmm. And we have had a lot of good things that have happened as well. Um, you know, just uh, if you can imagine, like, you've, you've got a voice that you're representing all of your employees uh, inside the hospital here. And, and so we've had some good uh, momentum around continuing education, around um, monitor classes, things of that nature. Um, and so we're out here, you know, happy to be in this position to where we can advocate um, for ourselves and for our patients. Um, but yes, there are still a lot of issues that could have been handled better over the last year. Um, a lot of the stuff that we're out here in the street over today are things that we've been trying for months and months to, to take care of behind closed doors. And um, we didn't want to have to spill out into the streets, but some of them are, you know, they're serious safety concerns. And so, um, you know, if we can't settle it behind closed doors, we've got to get out in the street over this. Okay. Um, I will say that uh, of of that list of things that you um, said a few minutes ago, the retiree health issue, I'm happy to report, was settled. Um, We just had a federal mediator that was in the hospital um, this last week, or met with us at the hospital this last week, and the hospital did agree uh, to pay those nurses their retiree health benefits. So we're, we're thankful and, and very happy to report that. Okay, okay good. Um, I, I want to get into more details, but first, why don't you describe for our listeners w- uh, what exactly the setting is uh, there right now? Who, who's out there and, and what's going on? Um, well, so far, I think we were up to somewhere like around 40 nurses that have showed up. Um, you know, some of them were coming off shift last night. Um, so they carried, and I heard it was kind of a busy night last night, so they carried themselves out here and got a round of coffee and some snacks, and now there's a bunch of signs. We had made some up, you know, with, with, you know talking about these causes that we're out here for, but then we also left some blank. And so these are all handmade signs, and some of them are are really good, um, and so there's lots of uh, sign waving and honking by the city, I'm early, and uh, yeah, it's really, it's kind of a fun, it's serious why we're out here, but it's also a really fun atmosphere. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of camaraderie going on. So... That was the Redwood Empire Food Bank. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Okay, so um, uh, you want Providence to do the right thing, uh, obviously, and so uh, why don't you explain about uh, the dialysis issue and, and why it's a specialized area of nursing? Yeah, you know, the dialysis thing, um, you know, I'll try to keep it short because I know we talked about this the last time we were on the radio. Right, but it's important. We, yeah, it's so important. And, and you know, the hospital changed uh, vendors. Um, in the past, there was always a registered dialysis nurse. Uh, dialysis is a very specific um, area of nursing. It's a specialized area of nursing, and it comes with lots of hours of training. Um, before a nurse oversees that that process. And um, the hospital changed vendors, and when they did that, um, they took what was a a job that had a 
a separate registered dialysis nurse to deliver dialysis and move to this system where they want remote RNs, remote nurses, to oversee that, that process. And they would put a dialysis technician at the bedside. And then all the other oversight and reassessment of those patients, the hospital expects the bedside nurse to, to handle. And, and you know, the problem for us with that is, one, we're not, we're not dialysis nurses, so we've been pushing the hospital to give us better education around that, which they have met to some degree. Um, but we've also asked for a reduction in patient load because uh, these patients, even under the best of circumstances, need more monitoring. Um, and when they're in the hospital, uh, a lot of times they're not just in for dialysis, they're in for other things. So they need even more uh, reassessment uh, more regularly. Plus, we already have an assignment that has a lot of other sick people. So um, it's just if, if we're going to take this on, we're going to oversee these patients. We need to know that we can not only take care of those patients, but the rest of our patients as well, while protecting our licenses. And, um, and so during um, negotiations over this, the hospital has more or less agreed to at least most of what we have asked for. But the problem has come in the fact that the hospital, uh, towards the end of negotiations, has then um, taken the stance that they won't put any of this in writing. They won't make it part of our contract. And so those things that we agreed to, if we don't have it in writing, you know, it, it's as if it, it never happened. And, and so that's just not acceptable. And we're telling the hospital, if you can't do this safely, if you can't agree to this and put this in writing, then we don't want any part of this. And you need to go back to the other system where you're bringing in a third-party nurse to oversee dialysis. Right. And now, as I understand it, when a patient is uh, receiving a dialysis treatment or being dialyzed, as you call it, um, uh, that uh, patient has the full attention of whoever is overseeing that treatment, be it a technician or a nurse. And so it's, con it's considered one-on-one -on -one treatment through their one-on-one treatment. -on -one, uh, 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 what I'm trying to say is that, that that person is dedicated to that patient for that period of time, which can be four to five hours of treatment. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So that does take away from the, your staffing uh, during a dialysis treatment. Yeah, and, you know, with, with, the, model, with the model that the hospital um, has brought in, you know, they're what one of their arguments is is that there's a technician at the bedside all the time. And um, while we appreciate that, the dialysis tech has very limited schooling and does not go through the type of schooling that a registered nurse does. And so their assessment and reassessment skills are nowhere near what a registered nurse um, is trained for. And so, you know, yes, there is somebody that's at the bedside, but they're not they're not getting the same treatment that they would if there was a registered nurse at the bedside all the time. Okay. And so, therefore, if, should that patient go into cardiac arrest, uh, they're left with a technician rather than, than a registered nurse, as it, it is in most cases uh, with other vendors. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, a, you know, whatever the, the issue is, the dialysis patient, you can have uh, pulmonary embolisms and, and things of that nature, um, but you could just as easily have a heart attack as well because, you know, being dialyzed is 
I mean, basically, you're taking all of the fluids um, out of out of out of the patient's body, running them through a filter, and putting them back into this in, into the patient. And so, um, you know, that's that's strenuous on the yeah. body. And I um, mean, in the past, we like we said, we always had a registered nurse in there. So not only did you have your bedside RN, but you had this other dialysis RN as well. So you had two, two nurses that were readily available or mostly readily available to respond to you if there was a crisis. And, and, and a nurse also could, could notice the signs of a patient's deterioration sooner than, than a techie just because of uh, the amount of training that we have. Uh-huh. So why is it that you think the hospital is pushing back on your um, your recommendations from the union uh, as far as uh, meeting those needs? Well, I mean, it, it, it would be a guess, I suppose, uh, to try to figure out what it is they're thinking. Um, you know, well, what are they telling you? What, what are they telling you during negotiations? Well, so far, all they've said is that they feel they have this right, that they don't have to negotiate this, and they don't have to agree to put anything in writing. So, I mean, from that perspective, I suppose it would be just a matter of power or control. Um, but, I mean, from our perspective, if they don't put it in writing, that means they don't have to adhere to what they agreed to down the road. And so, whereas right now, they're they're working with us, and they're, they're giving us a a lower um, patient-to-nurse ratio while these patients are receiving active dialysis. But if it's not in writing, then they could just go back on their word at any point and yeah. go back to this other model. So that's it's just not acceptable. I, I don't actually understand what their goal is here because um, we, have, we did send notification to the hospital that we intend to take this to arbitration. And so we've already set that process in motion. And you know, if an arbitrator rules that the hospital can't do this, then then they're going to have to go back to bringing in a third-party RN, which, you know, the other reason that we strongly believe that they went to this model is because this was a cost-saving measure. So, um, it, you know, when we're talking about, you know, if they've already implemented a lot of what we've suggested, and all we're asking them to do is put what we've suggested into writing, it seems like that would be the easiest and best solution for the nurses and the patients. Yeah, kind of sounds like it might be a cost-saving measure on their part as well, so that they uh, are, you know, a technician's uh, wages is a, a lot less than than that of a registered nurse. So that, that oh, absolutely, and, and this this model that they're using, they so that there is a registered nurse that oversees uh, the process remotely. But that nurse is overseeing dialysis simultaneously in multiple facilities and in multiple states. So, like, this, it's a huge cost-saving measure. If you could supplant, supplant all of those registered nurses that were at the bedside of these dialysis patients across multiple states and multiple counties, and you could put a dialysis back in there instead, that's huge. So, are they taking, so they're planting... Um, traveling nurses into these positions? No, a technician. No. Te- oh, traveling technicians. Well, a technician. Yeah. Yeah. A, a technician who works for the vendor who's providing oh, exactly. the treatment rather than a nurse. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, 
If you're just uh, tuning in here, we have Jim Gorlick and Jackie Bedell on the line with us uh, by way of telephone and Zoom. They are out at Petaluma Valley Hospital. Uh, both Jim and Jackie are executives with the Petaluma Staff Nurse Partnership, uh, as well as nurses at the hospital, and they are out there with their with their colleagues uh, with an informational picket. And we are discussing some of the issues uh, which are on the table for these folks. And it sounds like you're getting a lot of feedback from uh, drivers out there. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, either one of you, do you want to uh, describe the, um, the lack of a, an accurate acuity system? that uh, you are trying to negotiate with the employer? Sure. So um, we have what's called Title II the law that states any uh, acute care hospital or facility needs to have a accurate, reliable, verifiable acuity system in place. So what that means is acuity is basically kind of a score of your patients. So, you know, sometimes you'll get patients that are kind of, you know, straightforward. They don't require a lot of care, but then you also get patients that are, um, you know, very heavy. They they're require a lot of nursing care. So, as nurses, we um, acuitize our patients every single shift. So, every nurse, every patient has an acuity score. And based on that acuity score, um, is how you're supposed to staff. And that's, you know, kind of common sense, right? If you have five patients and five really simple patients, you know, or if you have three patients that are really heavy, then you shouldn't have five patients. So there's um, ratios, which are also a lot, you know, it's, it's on that third, say it's five to one or four to one at the facility. So that's the number of patients, the maximum number of patients you can have. That's the ratio. But then how you divvy that up is based on the nursing care that these individual patients need. And um, the hospital, is, it's been a long struggle over the years to get the hospital to staff by an acuity system. And we've complained for years and years. I don't know if it was three, four, five years ago, we called the state in. The state came in to investigate. Um, the state charged the hospital uh, that they were not uh, staffing by an acuity system. So then the hospital, they did do the right thing, and they revamped the acuity committee, and, you know, they started to kind of adhere to it for a while. Um, eventually it went by the wayside. And they have, the hospital has what they call a matrix or a staffing grid. And what it is is it's their... Um, it's like, a, it's like a graph that says for X number of patients, X number of nurses, or X number of CNAs, it's nothing to do with acuity. It's just kind of head-to-bed uh, type of you know, mentality, and it's, it's nothing to do with how sick these patients are. So they set, and it's tied into their budget. So they use this matrix or this staffing grid to staff. 
and it's horrible because it's not capturing the true, you know, uh, level of care that's being given to certain patients. So when Epic came in, which is our new computer system that we had as of last September, um, prior to that we had a system called Meditech. And in Meditech, you would actually go in to a certain area within the computer system called Acuity, and the nurse would acuitize the patient. In Epic, it's, uh, you can't really seem to get a grasp, administration or nursing, to figure out how we're capturing the acuity. I mean, nursing with Meditech, they knew where to chart, what to chart on, you know, to get the accurate score. And with this new system, there's been no education as far as you know, where we're supposed to chart, what we're supposed to chart, and how, how we have an accurate tool. So, you know, without acuity, it don't have staffing. And it is Title 22. So the, the EPIC system, I mean, it's been in for at least six, nine months. And these problems have not been addressed. Well, not only that, we talked to the union, talked about this even prior to EPIC going in, in anticipation of this. So... Um, you know, what we're told by administration is that at, at the end of the nurse, when, when they, at the end of the day, or at the end of the shift, I should say, they, there's three numbers that get spit out, basically. It's a high, a medium, and a low. And, um, and how those numbers are determined, I'm not sure. No one's ever taught me, and I've been, that's kind of the complaint across the board is, is lack of education on the nurse, you know, towards the nurses. So, so they, put, they put out these three numbers, and what administration says is these three numbers have nothing to do with telling you how many staff you need at the bedside. It's simply a work distribution. So, like, if you have, if one nurse, if let's say there's, uh, I don't know, seven patients on the floor that are really high, well, you're not going to give, you know, Highs to one nurse, you're going to split that those highs up the nurses on the floor, and then you divvy out the mediums and you divvy out the lows, so that each nurse has kind of a an even individual nursing assignment. Okay. But that's got nothing to do with how sick these patients are. You know, you're simp- it's not telling you how it's not telling you how many nurses you need at the bedside, like your old. Oh, okay. So, where? So, we, you talked earlier about the state, and you know, having complaints in the past. Are, can you talk more about that? About where you're at with the state on this, with these changes, especially with this program? Um, if I could jump in there, we so we did have the state come out over dialysis. Right. Um, we are waiting to see what the final plan that was possibly accepted by the state in regards to this. So they came out, they did an investigation into all of our charges. And um, and what we heard from the, the nurse who did the investigation was that they found um, merit to all of our charges. And the short of it was that they recommended... Um, that there, there needed to be better education, there needed to be um, 
more accountability on the, the acuity, the you know how how much oversight, how much care these patients were going to need if, if they were going to become part of our assignment. Um, and when the state makes their recommendations, as I understand it, they make a recommendation to the employer, and then the employer has a certain amount of time that they have to respond and come up with a plan to meet the state's recommendations. Okay. And then the and then the state. Um, you know, looks over that plan and either accepts it or says no. You need to go back to the drawing board over X, Y, or Z. And um, I just heard possibly that. Oop! Did we lose Jim? I think Jim, you're not. Uh... His last words were possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get back on. Okay, great. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, uh, so what we heard from the state or from the hospital was that the state um, did receive their plan. And according to our DON, Wendy, she said that it sounded like the state had accepted their plan. So now we're waiting to see what that plan was and if that was truly the case that it was accepted. So um, more, more to be continued, I guess. Okay. So your DON is your director of nursing? Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Um, wow. So, is there a time frame? You know, once a complaint is made and, and there's it's determined to have merit, and then they go back to the hospital, what is that time frame? Uh, well, you know, I was told that you know pre-COVID that there actually was kind of a time frame. You know, it was nothing like set in stone. Right. Um, but it was never it was never super quick unless there was like something really really egregious. But with right. COVID, uh, no, there is. <laughs> that a lot of that, as I understand, has been kind of thrown out the window just because like. You know, it's not just uh, well, everybody's affected by COVID, right? So even the department, uh, the state, uh, the state's department, they're affected by COVID. So everybody's kind of running on a shoestring. Right, right. Well, I, I know that um, people are back working at the state, you know, who were on Zoom, and and hopefully that'll be rectified soon. Um, I do have one question about COVID, though. <laughs> And, you know, the, the increase that's happening, um, have the nurses been affected by this new wave? Um, not so much in Petaluma. I mean, we've okay. had a few um, COVID cases, um, but, uh, and, you know, it, it's still super contagious. Uh, that seems to be the new norm of the you know, last subsequent or uh, last few waves. But um, definitely, you know, like, not hands down across the board, but overall, like the patients are generally not near as sick as they were back when, you know, like Delta was the predominant string. Right, and you know, and it seems to be it's all the upsurge always seems to be correlated with a holiday or a gathering time, and so you know, it just seems like after Easter, then you had your rise, and then we're going to have Memorial Day, and we're going to have a rise. And do you feel as though with COVID that you have all the protection that you need in the hospital? Because we had talked about that in the past. Yeah, I would say, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, okay. you know, the hospital's been really great at supplying, um, you know, the needed PPE and the training on the PPE. And, yeah, as far as that goes, they're doing everything I think that they should be. And we just need to work on the dialysis because 
you know, I know quite a few people that are have been on dialysis, and and you know, they're just really very differing degrees. Um, well, and I think you know, I think what's important to remember is you know, nursing is a very specialized job just yeah. in general, and and I don't know how many people have have people's lives in their hands when they come to work. Right. But it's it's not just a matter of it's not just a matter of throwing another cast into the, the line of tasks that you have to do. You know, you have to be able to get around and see all of these people that are under your charge and right. and you know, you're you're trying to take care of all of them safely and so you just, and you can't be in two places at one time, right? So that's that, I mean I mean, without going into like a long picture of what we do, we take care of a lot of ailments all at one time. So, you know, we're not out here just because, oh, well, we just want to have less patients. No, we want to have an assignment that we can safely take care of because the last thing I want to happen on my ship is that somebody dies on my ship. Right, right. You know, you have, you have a, a lot of responsibility. Um, and, you know, it's life or death. You know, I was a dental hygienist. Most people don't die in the dental chair. Um, it's, a, it's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah. Go ahead. There's a really a, a, a big difference in having a trained, specialized dialysis registered nurse at that bedside that does not leave that bedside versus a you know, a dialysis tech who has a high school diploma with, I don't know, I've seen anywhere from 150 to 190 hours of training. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's unsettling. And um, there's a lot of oversight to take on. And, and you know, if, if I was that bedside nurse, you know, as I am right now, and I didn't have other patients, but when I'm out of the room and I'm dealing with my other four patients, it's just, it's a... Uh, it's very comforting to know that you have a dialysis registered nurse specialized in that field at that bedside. Well, it's that, exactly. It's just like the cardiac or any other unit. Having special, you know, being specialized is very important for the healthcare and for the nurse also yeah. providing exactly. the service. Are there yeah. are there areas in the hospital that are understaffed regularly or having problems surrounding those staffing? Other areas besides dialysis? Oh yeah, I mean staffing is, is staffing has always been the main problem at this at any hospital really, not just this hospital. And staffing has has been it's always a challenge. Well, you know, um, over the time. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I I wanted to say like I mean Jackie's. Jackie's right. Like, I mean, this is always an ongoing issue. I mean, especially during COVID, right? Ever since, you know, we've had rounds where people have been out sick. But, like, right now in our emergency room, we we are so low that we are regularly having nurses come down and work um, out of memorial. Our emergency, you know, give us enough staff so we can safely staff uh, the ER. And some of our old managers uh, are coming down and taking on patient assignments. Um, and then our labs, our lab facilities are just, they're always understaffed. We don't have any lab technician at night, um, and that's been ongoing for a while. It's been an issue if there's a lot of labs that need to be done in the middle of the night in the emergency room or up on any of the floors. So it's up to the, the nursing staff to find time to do that. But then recently we've had a lot of 
sickness that ran through the lab. And if one person is out in the morning, there's no backup. And so then all of a sudden, all of your daily labs have to be absorbed by the nursing floor. And, and you can imagine, like, stuff doesn't get drawn on time, or things have to, because they were drawn early and they didn't get sent down, they have to be redrawn. I mean, there's a lot of problems with that. So staffing is an issue throughout the hospital. Um, but the, high, the, the biggest areas of, of that shortage right now are in the lab and in the emergency department. I, I, I'm actually familiar with the lab. I have one daughter that's a CLS, and she works at Davis, Davis um, in a hospital. And then my other daughter, as I said, is a phlebotomist, and that's what they say, that they, just the shorting, shortage and people calling in sick um, is a real problem. And, you know, and it affects everybody. Oh, you know, I think the thing that I really highlight here is that there's cases of uh, patients in the hospital that that are really, really sick, and, and their their diagnoses can't be determined until these labs come back. And in the meantime, they're just lying there on a gurney in the ER, uh, not knowing what to do next. Or, or, or there it's, it's the times draw. You know, you're, you're looking at a, a trend, like every four or six hours that these labs are supposed to be drawn. Right. But if they're not drawn on time, then you're not getting an accurate picture. Of right. That's trend. right. That's yeah. right. But that's, that's pretty serious. Um, so I, I just want to kind of go into, um, it, it just seems as though the state continues to make it easier for people to be in the medical profession um, when they really don't have, in my opinion, the education for some for a lot of these positions. And, you know, and that's what we're saying about the, um, the dialysis. You know, when you have somebody that is just trained for a short period of time, and it just seems like this is even the trend um, up at the state level. And, and that's very disturbing to me. Um, I, you know, you just can't pump people out just to get jobs if they're not qualified. And then, you know, once you get a job, even with nursing or any any position, it takes time, a good few years after nursing school. Well, that's a good support. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you know with, with, with our dialysis tech, you know, like, you know, we can, we can be trained. We should be trained for a uh, task, you know, which the dialysis techs, you know, more or less, they, they know their job. They, they are trained for a task, but there's so much more exactly. that's going on with a patient other than what's happening with just that dialysis. That's, that's exactly what, that's what my big concern is. When you, you just start pushing people into a position, yes, they know what they're doing for what their task is, but when there's an emergency and even, even, um, you know, viewing a patient, a nurse will see something that I certainly won't see. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's what we're saying. Like, the dialysis tech is great at what they do. Yes. We think. I mean, you know, everybody's got their, <laughs> not all dialysis techs are equal, but, but the dialysis true. tech is not going to look at that patient the same way that a registered nurse is going to look at that patient. Right. The whole picture. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I saw when I was doing dental hygiene, I saw a patient of mine, um, you know, that I'm not working anymore. So this is many years ago. And I still kick myself in the butt. Um, you know, he, he, he did not look like he had a lot of color. And normally I would take blood pressure, but I missed it. And he ended up having a heart attack. You know, not in my chair, but, you know, within a few days. And, um, you know, it's really... 
observing the color of someone's skin, something that somebody that is not trained would not necessarily notice. As simple right. as that. You know, yeah. oh God, I just love the haunting of that. It's just, I, I can't wait to leave and then I'm going to really drive by and I'll honk loud. I'm in the Subaru, by the way. Yeah. Never know, I might. Yeah. Um, just checking in uh, for our listeners. Um, <laughs> we uh, are. Uh, having uh, Jim Gorlick and Jackie Bedell with us today by Zoom and by phone call and uh, plugged into the board electronically uh, while they are out on the informational picket line at Petaluma Valley Hospital. And, uh, wow. Wow. (laughs) I'm really glad that I drove by and saw you guys had some shade, though. Yeah, because there's been times you have not had a shade, and so thank you for doing that. Okay, so uh, uh, we, this, this is a, we're, we're good at this now. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so while while we're really happy that you uh, resolved the uh, issue around retiree health, um, what happened with paid time off? Uh, this one, we're, we're hoping that this is going to end in a, in a positive way as well. Um, we had the federal mediator that was involved, and basically, at the end of mediation um, last week, the hospital is asking for more information. What is it that we're exactly seeking? Um, so the, the main issue, um, and we don't know the full extent of this yet. This is what the information request is going to show. But, uh, you know, during covid um, for a while, there was a, a state fund, the California Supplemental something or other fund, that, um, that the hospital was allowed to use to pay nurses who were out with exposure or possible exposure. Well, that ran out uh, September of 21, and then there was a gap for like four or five months before this new supplemental uh, bank came into being. Um, and in that time... If, if a nurse called out sick, um, maybe it was just for one day, the hospital was removing that nurse from the schedule for sometimes multiple shifts, sometimes three, four, five shifts, um, until that nurse um, was either feeling better and came back with a negative uh, swab or then came back with a positive swab and then they'd have to be quarantined. Um, but the process, like, so in the past, we call out sick, we're responsible for that that day. We have a, a bank that we use to pay our sick for. Um, but we always had to call out every single day that we were going to be sick. And what happened at the end of September or in September was the hospital just started canceling our shifts so we could get swapped. But they wouldn't allow us to get swapped sometimes for three days past that first call out. And so they were basically putting us on a leave even though most of the time it wasn't necessary. And we weren't allowed to come back to work until Caregiver Health cleared us. And Caregiver Health was also inundated with, you know, everything that was going on. And so you couldn't get a hold of anybody there. And so people were losing further shifts because of, of, you know, bad communication, understaffing, whatever. But we had nurses during that time period that because of the hospital's uh, use of our paid time off banks or just canceling shifts, 
either had their paid time off accounts severely dwindled or used to totally up, or they just were canceled on their shifts. I had some nurses that had no paycheck for two weeks. Wow. And so we're asking the hospital, you know, we were under your control. We could not come back to work. You canceled our shifts. We're asking you to make us whole. I thought there were state guidelines around employees who contract COVID and that the employer was required to pay them their sick time for that. Well, there, there were. I mean, and that's where, you know, when, when the state intervened, we had very little problems. But it was when the state backed out, and well, there's these gaps. Okay. Okay. And it's those gaps that were the biggest problem. And, um, you know, overall, you know, the hospital, I believe, you know, was acting in the best public interest, right? I mean, you know, you got to stay home. But at the same time, there was a lot of monies that were out there for, you know, um, the, the CARE Act around COVID. And, right. and, and we're saying, you know, as an employer of this size, this is your responsibility. You have a responsibility to the community and you have a responsibility to your employees. And we have contract contracts that limits how the hospital can use our, our paid time off accounts and how, how often they can cancel our shifts. Right. And, um, and so we're asking them to honor that contract and make up make us whole. You know, we, uh, we've talked about this in the past, and it's just so disappointing to have to keep hearing it again. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is um, this is a great refresher course. Yeah. 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 And about well, on, on this. Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. A refresher course on what? No, go ahead. No, no. A refresher, a refresher course for all of us and the listeners. Yeah. Like what's happening out there? Exactly. Yeah, and on, on this issue, you know, we'll, we'll have to keep you updated. I mean, part of us, you know, needing to shed a little light on this is that we want you guys to want to know what happens to the rest of this story. Right, right. Well, it's a big story, and uh, it doesn't end with uh, just these issues that you've raised today, but also we still have, what, we have four years left of women's health uh, before the hospital can just do away with that. Is that correct? Is it the Women's Health or yeah. Birthing Center? Or uh, the, the Family Birthing Center. The hospital, right. you know, agreed to, um, you know, keep it running for at least five years. Right. So we've got four more years of that commitment. Um, and, you know, we've got some amazing nurses that work down in that unit that are going to fight hard to keep that going. Good. And, um, and you know, they like to see it grow. We'd like to see an expansion of those services so that, you know, that it, it, you know it is such a, um, it's like a pillar of our community, right? Like, if you right, need right. those services, they should be here at your local hospital. So, you know, like that that's a fight that, I hope that's a fight we don't have to have. I hope that we... In five years from now, we've got another commitment to keep this thing going, and you don't have to hear anything but praises from us. Yeah. So I just want to ask quickly, you know, some, like my doctor, one is now with UCSF, other with, is with Sutter, other is with Providence. What, um, I, I, that's just confusing to me how everybody's, you know, stick going to different um, urgencies. 
And how does that affect the hospital, or it doesn't, or does? Are you talking about, I'm talking about health medical records? Not just like, no, just I mean treatment. So my doctor is with UCSF. I go to Petaluma Valley. I mean, what, what's the affiliation? Um, you know, that's one nice thing that's been about uh, this epic computer system. Of course, like Jackie was saying, one of the main things is we have to get uh, staffing based on the actual needs of the patient, right? And so that's a downfall of Epic because that, as far as we can tell, that has not been put into use uh, in a good way. But the one cool thing about Epic is, like, you you can go see a doctor or go to another hospital, and that's a, that's a record that will follow you around. So we can get diagnostics, we can get doctor's notes from your other um, facilities that you've been Right. Well, I, I go to Stanford sometimes, and sometimes that's a, a, a block, um, getting that information. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard for the patient, that's all I can say, especially if you have labs taken and then you have an appointment. Um, but it seems, that seems to be getting better, but it was a glitch at first in the system. So I'm glad to hear that that, that happens. Uh, and, yeah, the information is available. Okay, um, for listeners, I wanted to let you know that we have on the line with us Jim Gorlick, who is a registered nurse, and Jackie Bedell, who is also a registered nurse. Both of them work at Petaluma Valley Hospital. Uh, Jim, Jim is president of the Petaluma Staff Nurse Partnership, and Jackie is the vice president of that partnership. And um, we have about five minutes left. Um, so, uh, is there anything in particular that you want to make a point on? I'd like to actually re-ask the question. Last time we talked about the retirement, and some of the nurses retired, and they did not get the proper um, retirement pay. Was that ever? They, they settled that issue. Oh, that was settled. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. My, my mistake. Okay, so. <laughs> I would just like to add, um, you know, on the salad issue, I, I really hope the hospital is the right, um, safe thing in this manner. You know, the nurses, we're not out here, you know, saying that we don't, you know, want this new model for any other reason than we feel it's not safe. Right, right. And yeah. our priority is patient safety. Yeah. So, um, and then the second thing I just would like to say is, um, I don't know how to say this in a real short way, but, you know, I've been in this 20 years, and what's going to push me out very soon here is staffing. And staffing is not, it's not a nursing shortage since COVID. I've been talking with many people, CEOs, saying, look, you know, we need better staffing for years, for 15, 20 years, I've been saying this, and they don't do it. And when you come to work and you have a work environment where you're spread so thin and you're working so hard and you can't give the care that you want to give to your patients, you go home every shift and it's like, oh, I could have done better. I could have done this. I should have done that. And what that turns into over year after year, people call it burnout. Whether it's burnout for docs or whether it's burnout for burnout for it is for us, but what it turns into is what we call moral injury. 
Yes. And when you go home and you and you just sit there and you're you're so upset because you couldn't do what you wanted to do because of the lack of hands at the bedside. And hospitals, not just Tales in the Valley Hospital, hospitals across the board yep. could have for many, many years if they listened to their nurses and they staffed the bedside with the hands that they need, we would not be in this position now. Nurses don't want to get into it because when they get into it, they get out of it, you know, and the nurses that are like, you know, senior nurses, they can't take it anymore. It's just, it's a, it's sad because it doesn't need to be this way. All it needs is one more CNA on that floor, maybe one more nurse. And you add up those monies, it really isn't a lot, but it sure changes that work environment. Oh, you get to go home every day and you got to yeah. say, yeah, I took really good care of my patients. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the name of the game. I mean, you're 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 there for a reason, and you want right. to be the best, and you want to go home, and you want to know that you've done the best. Right. And right. and the patients want the best outcome, well, and that can't always be achieved when you don't have the proper staff. Well, and this is about community. This community wants a hospital. They want a safe hospital, and and you know we're a town of sixty thousand people. That is a very important component. So I thank you for all you do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really do understand, you know, when you go home, you should have some peace. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or walk away from a profession after 20-something years and say, God, I, you know, if it just could have been, just, if they just could have done the right thing by staffing safely and adequately, right. it could have changed my whole career. And, you know, you're just yeah. talking a one or one or two persons per that shift. Too. Yeah. That's it. Yep. You know, but then when they, when they, you know, halfway through your shift, they send a CNA home at 11 because we're overstaffed. Really? Overstaffed? Right. Let me see that acuity system. Show me. Yeah. Well, pull out the matrix. Here's our matrix. This is what we say we need. Well, where's the acuity? Yeah. You know? Yeah. What can the community besides honking horns do? I'm sorry? What can the community do besides honking horns and driving by? <laughs> well, you can go onto our website as one thing. We, we keep everything updated on there. Okay. And, uh, they, can write, they can write or email our CEO. Um, who else, Jim? Well, uh, so our website is smponline.net. And on that website, we have... You know, all the contacts for our CEO and our DON and all of those things. And the letters of support are there. Those are awesome. Those those speak volumes. And the hospital definitely pays attention to those. Um, so those are great ways. And, and then, you know, when we have things like this, like, we got food out here, you guys. Come on down. Come on, join us on the ticket line. Like, there's yeah. no reason that this, this, this block should be filled up with community members. If you want a safe hospital, get out here and join us. We're going to be here till 5 o'clock this afternoon. And, you know, free lunch. Free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I always like the free lunch. You know, Great. I, I did want to say, I did want to say real quick, um, another reason that we're out here um, is, you know, patient advocacy and, we're also celebrating the life of uh, our longtime friend and mentor, Kitty Brown. She was our chief nurse rep for decades and, and instrumental in our last negotiations. And she just passed away in February. So we're taking, we're taking the, the opportunity here at the end of Nurses Week to advocate for our patients and celebrate one of the, the life of a, a longtime patient advocate. Okay. Well, well good. 
Yeah. That's that's great that you're doing that for Kitty. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we're about out of time. Uh, I want to thank Jim Gorlick and Jackie Bedell, our dedicated nurses at Petaluma Valley Hospital, for being here with us today. Thank you very much. And um, we'll stay, we'll stay. We'll stay in touch so that we, we can follow what's, what's happening, if anything. That would be good. Keep you updated. Thank All right. you. All right. Good luck. We'll see you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wow. Yeah, I mean, nurses are the backbone. I mean, they, they are the backbone to the health, um, to, the, to our health. And, you know, a community um, needs a strong hospital and... We want uh, we want to keep our nurses, and we don't want to burn them out. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, you know. anyway, um, I'm going to repeat the website uh, since it was a little noisy there. The website for the Petaluma Staff Nurse Partnership is S like like staff, N like nurse, P like partnership, online dot net. So that's S N P online.net if you want more information. Glad you said that because I thought he said SN. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty loud. Um, last week, um, with what's happening with Roe versus Way, there was a, um, up in Santa Rosa, there was a rally, and I went to that rally, and then there was one at Walnut Park, so I came down to meet some friends at Walnut Park, and by the time I got there, there was only four people left. So, of course, I got out of my car, and they gave me a sign, and we were standing out there. And all of a sudden, some guy just parks illegal, illegally with a child in the back seat, jumps out of his car, opens his trunk, and takes water guns out and started shooting us with water guns and then throwing water balloons at us. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. we did call the police and did a police report. And, you know, just um, if people are going to go to these rallies um, for um, women's choice, Please keep your eyes open. Make sure you know what your surroundings are because we were very fortunate it was only water and not some chemical in the water or a gun. Yeah, as I understand it, there's uh, going to be um, a rally tomorrow on the corners of Washington and uh, Petaluma Boulevard. And I thought at Walnut Park, too. So people need to look out for that. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be here because, boy, I'd be there in a split second. Um, but please, uh, please support women's right to choose. Yeah. It's uh, very important, but yeah. please keep your eyes open yeah. and watch for. Yeah. I have I have the same opinions as Janice on that, but I will also say that the views and opinions expressed on Inside Petaluma are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Petaluma Community Access. So, and I thank you for that, Cindy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure our radio manager probably thanks us for that. I and sure and the FCC and probably a bunch of other entities. And right. so we just mm-hmm. kept ourselves out of FCC jail. Well. Yeah, thank you. And it's, um, it was a great show, and I'm really pleased to hear from yeah. our nurses. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's important. Um, we do have um, next week. Boy, I don't have my list with me. Uh-oh. I'm a bad host. Aren't I? Is it the health yeah, it's, 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 We're going to be talking Blue Zone. Yes, exactly. We're going to be talking to uh, a community partner uh, at Petaluma Healthcare District in Mona Faith. And uh, that will be next Friday uh, from 11 to noon. And it will be right here on Petaluma's homegrown radio station, KPCA 103.3 FM. 
and streaming live at kpca.fm. You've been listening to Inside Petaluma. I'm Cindy Thomas. Here with Janice Peter Thompson. We have 15 seconds to say goodbye, so I will see you next All week. Right. All right. And uh, thank you very much for being my partner. All right. Good time. All right. Thanks. You too. Okay. okay bye. Bye.